0: Hello, and welcome to the ms for mama podcast. I'm your host, Abby Halberstadt, happy wife, mom to 10, Bible-believing Christian. And we just finished an entire epic series on my 10 birth stories broken down into, I don't even remember how many episodes because we combined some, and there were some twin births in there. But I wanted to move on to something that is related in some ways, but the flip side of the coin. And it is something that I get asked about every single week when I do, what do you want to know Wednesday, which is the Q and a that I do on my social media each week. And it's something that I know that so many women feel deeply about and have experienced. And yet they feel a lot of isolation and they feel very lonely in their pain. And that is the topic of miscarriage. And so I know from, You're telling me that quite a few of you are making it through the last legs of your pregnancy on my birth stories because it's giving you excitement and anticipation for what's to come. Some of you have even told me, several of you have even told me, (coughs) (coughs) several of you have even told me that your experience... (coughs) Several of you have even told me that you're experiencing hyperemesis gravidarum, which is a condition where a pregnant woman experiences continuous and extreme nausea throughout significant portions of her pregnancy. It is really, really hard. I haven't experienced it myself, but I have friends who have, and it is just so debilitating and so discouraging while at the same time knowing that you are going through this valley you're going through this hardship for the sake of your precious baby and so i see so much strength and courage in women who go through that and yet they've written me and told me they've received encouragement and comfort from listening to my birth stories so i know this is a tender topic that we're addressing today and i will address it from a place of tenderness i will address it from a place of um of understanding because i have been there multiple times and also from a place of knowing that some of you mamas that are almost near the end of your pregnancies may not be ready for this topic right now. Maybe you've never been through one yourself and it's a fear of yours. Maybe you've been through a lot and that's not somewhere your mind wants to go right now. And I understand that. So, the reason that I feel compelled to share is because, again, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, so many people feel alone. I do think that the topic of pregnancy and miscarriage and home birth and kind of the whole trifecta of what that looks like, the different outcomes. I say trifectas if there are only three, three aspects to this, but there are really so many more. But I, I do think that... Conversations around birth and pregnancy, miscarriage, are becoming greatly destigmatized, and that's a good thing. It's no longer kind of, you know, certainly the idea of the society 800 years ago when you went into seclusion at your, you know, whenever you began showing. And I think that's a lot of good to that. But we can also get really casual with certain parts of our stories and we can forget that people have tender hearts. They have, they have crushed spirits for certain topics of, of childbearing. And so I want to be sensitive to those while sharing my story, but also with the focus that I always want to have of bringing it back to the truth of scripture. Because so many of the, the hurts and the bitterness and the resentment And the difficulty with letting go has to do with people's individual experiences that they assume are too much for the Lord. And I don't mean they assume that because they want to. That's genuinely how they feel. That's genuinely what they feel like their experience has been. And they have not yet gotten to a place of healing. And so... I understand that, but I'm always going to say this is less about whether I have experienced exactly what you have experienced or whether my pain has been to the degree of yours or yours to mine, but about the fact that we have a God who knit us together in our own mother's wombs and he cares about every detail of our lives. It says, are you not worth more than many sparrows? He, he knows the sparrows and yet we're worth so much more than sparrows. He numbers the hair of our heads. He um, captures our tears in a bottle. We are graven on his palms. He clothes the grass of the field with more splendor than he gave to King Solomon. How much more so, the Bible says in Matthew 6, does he care for us and the details of our lives? So we can know that head knowledge, but if we've gone through something as hurtful, literally, and emotionally and psychologically and spiritually as miscarriage, sometimes it can be easy to lose our way. So that's, that's the perspective that I'm approaching it from, a biblical perspective, but one of having personally been there and knowing how hard it is and being with you in the fight for healing, but also encouraging you beyond that, that there is still hope in Christ in even this. So my miscarriage stories are not as, I would say, dramatic as some. I have friends who have had four, five, six miscarriages in between having live births. And I have friends who have only had miscarriages and have never had the ability to birth a baby and they've adopted. I have friends who have secondary infertility. They were able to have babies fairly easily and might have had... A miscarriage in between, and then they can't get pregnant again, and they don't know why. So, I know that only touches the tip of the iceberg of the various things that people struggle with. But my first miscarriage, I will just start with my story, happened when I was uh, 26 or 27 years old. I think when I was 26, almost 27, because it would have been in the fall of 2008, I believe, somewhere in that range, 2008 or 2009. And I had two little boys. They were pretty close in age, certainly not as close as they could have been, but they were 18 months and three days apart. And I got pregnant with our third baby when Simon, our second born, was somewhere around 20 months, which was a much bigger gap than when I got pregnant after nine months with our first. So I'd already had a big gap comparatively, and yet I did not feel ready. And I didn't know that I would feel this way until I saw the blue lines on the pregnancy test. I thought I would be fine. I wasn't feeling resentful of being pregnant again. I felt like I had gotten a good break. I had nursed Simon until 18 months. I was surprised that my cycle hadn't come back and it didn't until right after I finished nursing him. So I got an 18 month break from my cycle like just no complaints and thought I was ready to have another baby. And I just didn't feel emotionally ready. And I wasn't super excited when I saw the positive pregnancy test. And it's been a long time, that was over 12 years ago, but I can still feel those lingering kind of, kind of just threads of guilt that I feel now, knowing what I know now about the end of that pregnancy and knowing that I was struggling to feel joy in the announcement that we were pregnant again. And then couple that with the fact that I got nauseated earlier than I had the first two times. And I also felt ragey all the time. So couple that with the fact that I got nauseated much earlier than I had with my first two. And I felt ragey from pretty much the very beginning. So, you know, they count you like day zero of being pregnant counts as being two weeks pregnant, technically that counts into your 40 weeks. And they base that on a 28 day cycle. Well, probably by three weeks pregnant, which would have been one week for me. I was experiencing huge hormonal shifts on a daily basis. I felt irritable. I felt frustrated by small things that didn't usually get under my skin. I didn't feel like I had a lot of control over my emotions or my reactions. And that made me even more irritable because this wasn't something that I had experienced super strongly with my first two pregnancies. So yeah, I just felt off kilter all around. And for our first two pregnancies, I think we'd had a sonogram by about 10 weeks or something, something along those lines, probably earlier than that with our first, because you're just so excited, you know, you find out and you're, you're like, let's hear this baby's heartbeat as soon as we possibly can. And I think that my midwife maybe wasn't available during kind of that 10 week mark when we normally would have gone in. And so I hadn't seen her yet. And I thought, I don't know how I got my days off, but I thought I was about 11 weeks. Maybe I'd forgotten to factor in the two weeks where you're not really pregnant, but they count you as pregnant. I think that's what it was. And I thought I was about 11 weeks pregnant. And so we were about to have an appointment. I had spent 11 actual weeks, 13 pregnant weeks, such as it is if you're following what I'm saying about the two weeks where it just counts towards your gestation, even if you aren't technically pregnant. So 13 pregnant weeks, technically 11 weeks of just feeling disconnected from this pregnancy, feeling guilty about that, feeling frustrated with myself, feeling frustrated with other people, feeling like I realized I wasn't very much fun to be around, but not knowing how to remedy that. And then on Thanksgiving day, I was going to do something called a turkey trot, which is a 5K that they do in our hometown each year on Thanksgiving. And I had never done it before, and I was getting ready to go meet a friend. And I went into the bathroom to pee before, you know, running three miles, because that would have been a good idea after having two kids, or maybe always. And I saw blood on my underwear, and I, you know, panicked, of course. And that first thought that came crashing through my brain was this is because you weren't excited. That first thought was one of self-condemnation. And we have to understand that the Bible tells us there is now, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that means that we are not condemned to the judgment of separation in hell from God, but we can still experience self-condemnatory thoughts. Some of which have grains of truth to them. Now, the truth that I quote unquote caused this by not ever being fully excited about this pregnancy wasn't there. And I do believe that Satan is the great accuser, that he's the father of lies, that he desires to steal our hope and to kill our dreams of doing right for the Lord and to destroy any shred of goodness that the Holy Spirit has planted in our hearts and any desire for righteousness. And so I know that he was attacking me in those moments in my thoughts, but I talked to my mom And she didn't even go down that road, and I don't don't think I necessarily told her I felt so guilty on that call. I might have at the end, but she has experienced a lot of miscarriage. She is one of those people that was able to have two children and two children only, even though she chose not to have any form of birth control in her life. And she experienced secondary infertility and um, never had any more children. And she had a lot of early miscarriages and some that were farther along around the time that I was having this one. So she was very familiar with this and she was pretty sure she knew what was going on. Now there was this hope in my heart that was born of this desire to not have been the demise of my own baby's life. To to go around this thought that said because you never got super excited about this this is what's happening like you caused this so maybe this baby is okay maybe I'll get a second chance maybe I'll get an opportunity to get excited it's kind of one of those moments that you read about in books or in it's a wonderful life where george bailey promises god you know that if if you'll just give me back my life I'll I'll live for you that I don't remember the exact words but it's like I want to live again lord please lord please So I wanted my baby to live again. And there are lots of women that experience significant spotting and significant bleeding during pregnancy and their babies turn out totally fine. And they have a great birth and a perfectly normal and healthy baby. It's just something that their bodies do. So, or or there is a problem, but it's not, it's not an issue with the baby and they're able to fix it. And, um, I have a friend who spots almost every time she's pregnant and of course it's scary, but she hasn't had any problems with her actual pregnancy. So that was in my head that this could be, you know, this, this could be just a fluke. And so I went home and I I Didn't do the turkey trot. Obviously. I went home to my husband and I told Sean what was going on. I told him how I was feeling. I'm crying of course. And we text my midwife who if you recall delivered five of our babies and then I had one appointment with her with Theo who was our number six obviously and then she had a catastrophic stroke and died two days later and so this is before that obviously and she was just the kindest just the most wonderful combination of pragmatism and kindness and she said You know, I would put your feet up and I would drink fluids and I would be as still as possible. Sometimes you've got something that's trying to happen, but not going to happen. Let me know if you have any cramping and I will meet you at the clinic. Well, this is Thanksgiving Day, the day that, you know, Americans are spending with their relatives, making massive amounts of food, watching football, eating massive amounts of food and celebrating, you know, and relaxing. It's not a day. To focus on sadness and grief and loss if you can help it and yet my midwife immediately even though she hadn't even seen me yet and we hadn't heard the heartbeat yet said you know I, I you let me know what you need for me but I can meet you in town and we can do um, we can see if we can find a heartbeat so I didn't stop bleeding and I started to feel worse but then it would stop And then it would start again. So it was, it wouldn't just stop entirely, but it was enough to give me hope. So we did several hours of that. And so finally, um, Sean said, yeah, let's go meet Thalia. Let's see, let's see what we can find out. So we drive 30 minutes into town. She tries to find a heartbeat. There's no heartbeat. Of course, I am just, you know, holding on with a shred of hope that we're going to hear this faint heartbeat and this baby's going to be okay and this thing won't be my fault, you know? And I will get to have this baby and I will get to be joyful about it. But it wasn't to be. And so she mourned with us. The Bible tells us to mourn with those who mourn and to rejoice with those who rejoice. And this was certainly not a moment of rejoicing, obviously. And so she mourned with us and told me what to expect as much as she could. But when you've never gone through a miscarriage and someone doesn't tell you that it is a mini labor, I think you're going to be taken by surprise by the heaviness of the cramping and by the intensity of the contractions, because I had done natural labor twice and I knew what those felt like, but I just wasn't expecting that. I just thought I would bleed. And instead, I remember at one point I was basically crawling up our stairs because I felt, I was like, you know, I feel like these are like dilated to a five heading toward transition contractions. And that just really took me by surprise and I was 13 weeks. So I was carrying a three month baby and my midwife had told me what to look for in terms of a little baby that I would pass. And that was just such a unsettling prospect. Uh, I mean, it's like, you know, I don't know when this is going to happen, but apparently this is going to happen. And, and so I need to, I need to look for this and I need to be mindful. So I got in the bathtub and I read The Count of Monte Cristo, of all things, just in an attempt to take my mind off of it. I had been reading scripture, been meditating on it, been praying with John, but I could tell by now that my body was passing this baby and I, and I was just trying to process, but at the same time not dwell for hours because the process was long. And this is Thanksgiving, and we're not going to my family's anymore. And those yeast rolls I was supposed to bring didn't get made. And not like anybody cares. They're all being kind and praying for me and and mourning with me. But it just felt like such a such an ugly day to be doing this like Lord you know I'm thankful for this I know the Bible tells me to rejoice in all things and be thankful in all circumstances but it doesn't mean this right you know especially not on Thanksgiving day that's kind of rude you know some of those thoughts skittered through my head in between reading about Edmond Dantes so hours long process and I kept expecting to pass the baby and I just never did And so when I told my midwife that, I'm like, could I have missed something? She's like, no, this would have been a little baby that you could hold in the palm of your hand. You would have been able to see, you know, individual features and fingers and toes. This is a baby baby. This is not even, you know, a very small. Now, I believe that life begins at conception. So every baby from the moment that they are conceived is a baby. I'm not in any way denigrating that. But she's like, you are going to be able to, to know what you are looking at. And so I never experienced that. And she said, you know, I wonder, especially with how you've described some of your symptoms and how off your hormones seem like they've been, which when you're 27 years old, you haven't really had any hormonal issues up to this point. You've had two healthy pregnancies and you didn't necessarily feel crazy during those pregnancies. To feel crazy during your third, your brain doesn't immediately go to my hormones are out of whack and there might be something wrong. It doesn't immediately kind of go down that path, but when she said that, I thought, "Oh, oh, wait, yeah, okay." So the fact that I felt dis- very disconnected from this pregnancy, and the fact that I was ragey, and the fact that I was so up and down and easily irritable, and all of those things could have been an indication of a hormonal imbalance that could have meant that this pregnancy was never going to form correctly because something was off from the very beginning. And she said, yeah, that's a very real possibility. So the phrase she used was blighted ovum. Now, I don't think there's really any way to know for sure that it was a blighted ovum. And you can do a little bit of research on what that is if you so choose. But it's basically a pregnancy that starts and your body intends to keep it going and something falls apart somewhere and you end up with a miscarriage at some point. And it's surprising that it can go as long as three months that your body can be convinced that it's pregnant still for three months, but it can go quite a while. So that was my first experience and it was hard and it was sad. And it took me a while to kind of find the goodness of the Lord in it. And while I I don't believe now, that I did anything to cause that pregnancy or that my lack of joy sabotaged it in any way. I do know that part of the work that the Lord did in my heart was to help me to choose gratitude in future pregnancies even when I didn't feel it sometimes or didn't feel well or felt irritable. Because what I don't want to imply, especially for newly pregnant mamas, if you haven't had this experience before, is that if you are experiencing ragey feelings or disconnect from your baby or just don't feel like you did in other pregnancies, that that means that there is something wrong and you're gonna lose your baby. It could be an indication of that, and I do believe it was an indication of that, in my case, on this first pregnancy, that ended in miscarriage, but that's not a perfect correlation, and it's certainly not causation, so don't panic. So in that whole experience did help me to look forward to having my next pregnancy, which happened two months later. And I got pregnant with Adelaide and because of that miscarriage and being pregnant for three months, Della and Simon ended up being almost exactly three years apart, which was for the longest time our biggest gap between pregnancies now our biggest gap is the twin bees, And if we have any more babies, they'll have the biggest gap but for the longest time three years or I think it was three years minus six days was our longest gap and I do remember a feeling of such joy at seeing those blue lines on that pregnancy test for Della that I was so grateful that the Lord was allowing me to have another pregnancy and there were niggling fears, certainly, that it could happen again, that something was wrong, but she ended up being a healthy pregnancy, and I and I experienced a lot of joy and a lot of redemption through that. That's what a lot of people call a rainbow baby, and she is my rainbow baby. Our second pregnancy is uh, even more unorthodox than our first, in that we experienced vanishing twin syndrome. You guys have heard me talk about this with Theo. Our number six. Now, backing up a little bit to Evie and Nola's pregnancy. Interestingly enough, and I, I talked about this when I talked about being, I think in their birth story or maybe in the Twin Bees birth story. I think it was the Twin Bees birth story. I talked about the fact that people always ask me if I know whether I'm pregnant with twins or if I have an inkling. And, and I don't have strong feelings of that, typically. Certainly not, oh man, it's definitely twins. But I've had little little kind of things that have made me think, possibly. Well, with Evie and Nola, I had zero symptoms until six weeks. And I was convinced I wasn't really pregnant. I was afraid I was going to experience another blighted ovum. I knew that I kept getting positive pregnancy tests, but otherwise, I just didn't have anything to indicate that my hormone levels were elevated, much less elevated higher than they would normally be because there were two babies in there and then I started bleeding right at six weeks when I was on a date with Sean went into the bathroom saw blood and had that same sinking sensation except that without the guilt this time because I had felt you know excited about this pregnancy I, I had felt a little bit confused by the pregnancy because I didn't feel pregnant either emotionally or physically but but I certainly wasn't opposed to the pregnancy and I wasn't you know Opposed to the pregnancy is is a really strong phrase, but I I wasn't feeling like I had with the blighted ovum, and so I saw that blood and I thought, okay, here we go. So that was that was an interesting emotional roller coaster because I was expecting it to go down a path that was similar to what I experienced a couple of years before, and it just didn't. It would have been too late for implantation bleeding, so I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know if I had some sort of tear. Or if it was related to having twins, I don't know. I've never found a perfect explanation for that. But that ended up being a completely healthy pregnancy. Well, with Theo, my body reabsorbed his twin at eight weeks without any symptoms whatsoever. And so what's left is just what they call a shadow on the sonogram. And so the shock of seeing back-to-back sets of twins was pretty huge. But also the sadness of realizing that Theo didn't get to meet his twin this side of glory was heavy and so I remember looking at that sonogram and thinking uh you know I don't I don't know how I feel mm, like uh, you know all these noises I'm making were pretty much what my brain was doing it couldn't find a place to land because um there was the trepidation of having to do twins again so quickly because it's a hard pregnancy and it's a hard infancy, but there was also, wow, that would have been really cool to have you know a set of boy twins right after girl twins. And I have explained this before, but very likely all three of our sets of twins have been identical mono dye twins because there's one placenta. So typically with fraternal twins where you've had two eggs that get fertilized, there are also two placentas that form to sustain those two eggs and two babies. So just one placenta, And the sonogram technician said that she goes, "Mm, you were probably going to have another, I said, if identical twins. So Theo had a brother and it took me probably about a week to kind of finally land somewhere of Lord, you're sovereign and you're good. And that would have been hard, but it would have been cool. And I'm sad, but I'm also at peace with knowing that. I didn't have a bad attitude about this, you know. I was I was excited for this pregnancy. I was excited to meet this baby, and I would have been excited to meet two babies. And then my third experience with miscarriage was also a little bit unconventional in that I got pregnant in April of 2022. So a year and a half ago, less than a year and a half ago, somewhere a year and a handful of months ago. And I woke up in the morning early on a Saturday. 5 a.m. or something like that and just had this pang of nausea like just really hit me And it would have been very early in pregnancy something like three weeks including the two weeks that you're not really pregnant. So about a weekend and I had had a crazy dream which is a huge indicator for me of pregnancy because I don't dream a lot unless I'm pregnant and they're usually very adventurous I'm jumping off cliffs and you know saving my kids from kidnappers and it's just wild So I'd had one of those kind of dreams and then I woke up and I just got this wave of nausea and I just knew and I stood up and rustled around in a drawer somewhere and found like one old decrepit pregnancy test and took the test. It was positive. I had a set of twin toddlers at the time. The babies as we call them, the twin bees would have been about 18 months old, somewhere in that range. And I mostly felt in that initial moment of seeing the positive, like, Ooh, kind of not like I had with Simon, where I was like, I'm not ready. Kind of like, okay, well, I've had a great break, but I don't know that my brain was here yet. And, and then I experienced for the next four days, the worst mood swings I've ever had in my entire life. I think I've talked before here. I definitely have on my social media About the fact that I'm not a big crier that I don't cry super easily definitely since having kids and since having more kids and getting older my tear ducts can well up more easily than they used to but I'm just not prone necessarily that way and I always say that's neither here nor there that's not like pat me on the back for being so tough or you know censure me from being so hard-hearted it's just you know how my brain and my body function But I cried at the drop of a hat and I couldn't even told you why I was crying. I felt like punching things five minutes later and I didn't even know why I was angry. It wasn't like, I can't have this, you know, baby. It was just, I felt, I think, I think the phrase that popped into my brain was that I felt like I was in a Looney Tunes cartoon and they had a big mallet of emotion and they were just bonking me over the head, rage, you know, sadness, crying. Blink, numb, staring at the wall. Normal. Let's start over with rage. Now let's go back to numb. Like it was the most bizarre experience in terms of emotions. And I couldn't help but think, Lord, what in the world is going on with this pregnancy? I There's something wrong with me. I definitely didn't feel connected to the baby yet. But by about day two, I was already calculating due dates. And I was like, okay, so that means this you know, is not happening, this will happen, and ooh, I will have a baby at, um it wouldn't have been Christmas, but you know, in the winter time to snuggle when it's cold, and I was starting to get excited, but then I would feel crazy again. And so, <laughs> I think that was a Saturday, and on Tuesday morning, Evie, one of my twin girls, had had an accident when we were playing Ultimate Frisbee, where she'd collided with another kid, and his knee had hit her jaw, and we had been watching her reaction all week. My brother-in-law is a dentist and we'd sent him pictures because there was a lot of bruising. And he had said, you know, we're going to monitor it for a week. And then you probably need to take her in if the bruising hasn't improved after about five days. So that was, that was kind of our deadline. The bruising was improved, but she was still experiencing some pain. So we went in to see an oral surgeon. And I proceeded to have the worst experience with the doctor's office that I've ever had. And that's, that could be an entire podcast of its own, but suffice to say that I was hanging on by a thread of sanity is what it felt like. I had four little boys with me. I had the twin bees who, like I said at the time, were probably around 18 or 19 months old. I could do the exact math, but that's close enough. Um, honor would have been five. Shiloh would have been three. Um, and then I had Evie, of course, with me who we were there for. For her appointment. We got there at about 8.45 in the morning. The appointment was at 9. We got seen eventually around maybe 9.30, 9.40. And um, I was just, if you've ever been in a situation where your internal dialogue feels like mice running around <laughs> in your brain, angry mice maybe, Chattering and and nipping at your brain that's kind of what it felt like, and we were in this room that had computers and things that could be trashed and I looked like an octopus just grabbing babies and holding them and doing squats with them, and like tickling Shiloh with my toes and telling honor to stop crawling on the stroller anyway it was it was a bit of a circus, and the staff just didn't care, and the oral surgeon who came in to see her didn't care either because. Another 40 minutes go by, I have to go teach a class at the gym, and I just decided to leave the office and let them know, like, I've been here for almost two hours, and I can't um, wait any longer with the little boys, and, you know, if you could just give me a call, and this is where the appointment went really weird, because they started treating me as if I were, like, kidnapping my daughter from the appointment, and I was like, no, no, I'm happy to come back, I just can't do any more right now. We finally got that resolved. But my point in conveying that to you is that by the time I got to the gym, my emotions, which had already felt like I was getting hit on the head by an emotional mallet, just bong bong bong, all these different quicksilver changes that were not fun at all. Like I did I did not recognize myself. Um I have to go teach this class and I have to get little boys into the building. And I am fighting tears. They're just kind of at the back of my eyes. And I feel like I could sob, but I don't have the option to sob. I have to go teach a class. I'm scheduled to do this. And and y'all, this is my personality for good or for ill. If I've said I'm going to do it and I'm scheduled to do it, I will be there and I will keep it together <laughs> or at least try. And so I go into the classroom. i Barely made it in time. I mean, I don't think I technically did. I think I was supposed to be teaching class at 1030. I'm usually there 10 to 15 minutes earlier than that. And it was probably 1029 when I walked into the gym doors. Then I had to drop kids off in child care and walked in to teach my class probably about 1032 and really sweet participants. They don't care. They're super kind, but they're concerned for me because I had had to call the gym and say kind of, I have a medical issue. And so they're like, are you okay? I said, I'm fine. It was for Evie. Well, what I didn't know, but found out in just a couple of minutes is that I really wasn't fine. So I remember one especially kind Christian lady that takes my class coming up and saying, can I pray for you? And I didn't lose it, but tears just started trickling down my face because I just couldn't quite keep the damn tight (laughs) any longer. There, I've had worse mornings, for sure. There have been much more significant struggles in my life think it's not being a victim to say that that was one of the lower mornings I've had in terms of all of the emotional kind of bludgeoning. I felt like I was having combined with a really unfortunate situation in that doctor's office. And so I just, you know, tears were kind of trickling out of my eyes. And I just said, you know, you just don't necessarily know what people are going through. And this is this is kind of my message to you in talking about miscarriage today. You don't know what people are going through. And it's just good idea to be kind. And the lady just nodded and said, yeah, it really is. So I said, I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. I need to go pee before I start this class. And I went into the bathroom and I discovered blood on my underwear for the third time and realized now one of those times I didn't end up having a miscarriage and realized that I was miscarrying. And I actually, I want to make sure that I tell that correctly, because you're going to think I am an emotionless robot. If I tell you that I then went back and taught my class, but I think I got that backwards. In fact, I know I did. And that is, you know, the lady was very kind to me and I started teaching class and then I went immediately. I remember saying, I'm going to have to go potty, but it must've been right after class because I went immediately after class, saw the blood and thought, Oh, Oh, Oh Lord. Okay. This is what we're doing. Um, And it was really sad because even though I had moments of not being excited and filled with rage and feeling like this just is jerking me around and I don't know what to do with this, like I said, I'd started planning for that baby. So that manifested as what people typically call a chemical pregnancy. Just very, very, very early pregnancy. So it looked like a regular period. I basically bled for about seven days, a little more heavily than usual. But the weird part was that not only did I still feel pregnant, I felt more intensely so than I had before I started miscarrying. So I had started feeling a little fatigued already and like I needed a nap in the afternoon and I felt exhausted, like that first trimester exhaustion that hits you like a big gold feather pillow to the face and you just feel like you're going to get buried and not get back up again. And I was taking naps in the afternoons because I was so tired. So I'm like, this is so strange. I just bled for seven straight days. I can't possibly still be pregnant. Although I could have. I have heard of of weirder stories than that. But I didn't think I was. I was also nauseated and the nausea was increasing. So the rage stopped pretty quickly. Almost like a switch being flipped. I hear a lot of people talk about their premenstrual syndromes, how they feel really ragey and then they start their period and they feel normal. This was kind of like that, except that it was a completely different circumstance, but I was nauseated and I was exhausted. And so that happened for another like 10 days. And I finally called a midwife friend and was like, Hey, what do I do? Because my pregnancy tests are now showing negative after 10 days. But, I have all these pregnancy symptoms how do i know for sure whether i am could i be getting a false negative after getting a positive i think i took two and they were both positive she said you could but we can do a blood test and that will prove unequivocally whether you are or not so we do the blood test she meets me at her office so kind just as kind as Thalia was all those years ago and she runs it and i find out within i think 24 hours that I am not in fact pregnant. And I continued to feel the effects of it for several more days after that, probably a full two weeks of feeling like I was in the early stages of pregnancy, which definitely messes with your brain. Um, And so that was just another kind of layer of the experience to take to the Lord and say, goodness, this is not how I would have chosen to do this. I mean, if anyone has had a miscarriage, you are saying, amen, sister, right now. You are saying with me, this is not what I would have chosen. I would have chosen to keep going with this and have a healthy pregnancy and you know, just do it kind of the the conventional way, Lord. But I will tell you this, that while I would have never chosen any of those three circumstances, I do trust that the Lord had a plan for them. And I know for a fact that one of his plans for them was when people ask me, have you ever experienced miscarriage? You know what that's like? How do you cope? How do you approach that? How do you heal? That I would have the ability to say, yeah, I've been there. I have walked that road. It is not fun. And yet God is still good through it. And he has not forsaken you. And he has not forgotten you nor had he forsaken or forgotten me and I don't know what my future holds of course I don't wish for any more miscarriages but I'm older they are clinically more common and likely to happen as my age progresses should I get pregnant again and so I know that that's something that I have to hold loosely and say Lord you are sovereign you have a plan for my life you have a plan for my children you have good plans for me to prosper me. And that doesn't mean monetarily or even health or obedient children. It's, it means to give me hope in him and to prosper my understanding of his truth and his goodness. Now, sometimes that does translate to only healthy babies. Sometimes I I have friends who've never had miscarriages and I don't think that's because God loves them more. So if you have experienced much more extreme versions of this than I have. And I know many who have. And that lie starts to creep into your mind that the Lord must love this woman who has lots of kids and has never experienced this. Or I think a lot of people assume that I have all these kids and I probably haven't experienced this and I, I don't know what it's like. You know, you you must be giving her more favor. And I just want to bust that lie wide open and say that while I cannot tell you why the Lord has chosen This hard road of suffering for you. While I cannot tell you why I have three fewer children than I thought I would. In the case of Theo, I didn't know. But once I saw that sonogram, realized what I was missing out on. I do know that the Lord is faithful. That he is near to the brokenhearted. That we are able to cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. And that when you read scripture, you see people who often, like Paul, beg for something to be taken from them. Say, Lord, my life would be so much better, easier, maybe more impactful. Look look how much more ministry I could have. Look, all these things, if, if you would just take this affliction from me. And sometimes the Lord says yes. And sometimes he absolutely says, not right now or not until you see me in heaven and We are able to trust and say, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Though he take from me the thing that I desire, yet I will trust him because his ways are right and good. And his ways are not my ways, but they are higher than my ways. And if that is a sting to you now in your process of healing, if you've experienced miscarriage, I am sorry. But I am also praying that the Lord will continue to heal your heart so that the truth of his sovereignty and his goodness, even in the midst of this even in this will become so clear to you in the future i hope this episode will be an encouragement to any mom who's walked through the sorrow of miscarriage that there is hope on the other side and that god's goodness never changes and never wavers <laughs> If you guys enjoyed today's program, I would be so honored if you would subscribe and share with others. And if you're looking for more daily content on motherhood and biblical responses to cultural issues, you can follow along on Instagram at m.is.for.com.